Welcome to the Women of TBC podcast. You'll hear content from women's Bible studies and other women's events. For more information, visit templebiblechurch.org. Well, good morning. Welcome back. I'm so glad to see some of you back in this room and some of you on live stream. It's just good to be together, is it not? I'm super excited. Um, I want to start this morning uh, with our memory verse. And so those of you who are in the room, you just stay where you're sitting. Um, But we're going to start by just reading this together or reciting it if you want to close your eyes. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is Mark 4, 24 and 25. I started with that because that's a hard verse, isn't it? It's hard to memorize, and it's also really hard to understand. It's very interesting, it's very mysterious, that concept right there in the verse. And the reason I wanted to start with it is because I wanted to highly, highly recommend to all of you to please go back and watch the teaching that Cassie Fothergill was able to record for us on Tuesday. Because of the craziness last week, we didn't get to come in, any of us get to come in and work here, and so she could not record, but she did, and I sent it to your leaders on Tuesday. Leaders, I hope you have sent it. I know many of you were just discussing um, lesson six and seven today, but please, please go back because Cassie really does a great job of unpacking this memory verse. What is the mystery of the parables? Sometimes we, we read the parables and we think they're so simple. Cassie helped us to see that they're so much more there is secret, there is secret message about the kingdom of God, and it's so rich and so good. And I could listen to Cassie teach all day long, and I really, really want to encourage you and you guys out there to please go and watch that video. Well, the other um, bit of news that I wanted to share is um, just, to, just to give you a testimony of God's great provision and the way that he has just watched over and protected us. I hope all of you were able to kind of debrief and talk about your storm experiences in your groups. But that was crazy. Was it not just literally crazy last week? And um, before last week, Linda Strom, who's sitting up here in the front, one of our teachers, she said, you know what, Amy, I'm not going to be able to do the lesson. She was, she was going to do the lesson this week. And she said, it's just too much. I have a lot going on. And she did. But she had no idea how much more she would have going on last week. So she asked me before the storm hit. The storm hit. Linda was staying with her son. Her pipes froze and her entire house flooded. So let's just, yeah. Did you hear that, Linda, that groan of love and support for you? (laughs) Um, So she is in a crazy mess. And um, I'm just so, I'm just blown away that God gave us the provision, first of all, of her asking me to do this, so this was not even a a concern for her. And secondly, her insurance company approved for her to stay at Rhonda Eggleston's bed and breakfast. Rhonda has been in our group, and she's been a a teacher before. So Rhonda has a bed and breakfast over in Belton. Linda is going to stay there for two months while we're renovating her house. And Rhonda is getting the blessing of having a, a, a tenant or a, a guest for two 
solid months, all paid for by the insurance company. So isn't God just amazing? God is so good. And I just wanted to share that testimony and give glory and honor and praise to him this morning before we got started. So uh, if you would, let's bow in prayer, and then we'll get started with today's lesson. Oh God, we just, we just celebrate with our sister Linda the goodness that you have shown her, but we also just lift her up. God, she needs your help. This is an overwhelming task. There is so much chaos going on in the situation, and God, we just pray for peace. What a miracle that, that the lesson today is literally called a stiller of storms. And God, we just pray that you would still this storm in, in Linda's life. And I know many of us sitting here in the room have other stories of loss and of um, difficulties uh, through this storm last week. And we want to, to really press in and listen to what you might have to say to us in this text of Scripture. So God, would you, would you just move me aside? Would you speak to us? Would you teach us? Would you correct us and train us? Would you give us um, this mysterious eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to understand the mystery, the secrets of the kingdom that you are revealing to us in the Gospel of Mark. We trust that you will this morning. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, my first panic attack happened when I was in kindergarten. In kindergarten, guys, I still remember it like it was yesterday. We were watching a video of an underwater diver in my class, and I just got overwhelmed with panic. And I, I really felt like I was drowning. My heart was racing. My palms were sweaty. I couldn't breathe. It was just terrifying. And then my last panic attack happened this past summer, 2020. So clearly, I've been struggling with panic and anxiety for a very long time. And it's in these moments of panic that I am often just plagued with self-doubt and fear. And my mind is just crazy. It feels like it's in utter chaos. Well, Jesus knows a little bit about chaos. Remember, he was there in Genesis 1 when there was darkness and void and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters and God spoke order into chaos. He said, let there be light. And there was light. Well, Jesus still speaks order into chaos. He literally calms or restores tranquility to scenes of confusion and chaos. We saw him do that time and time again last week during our crazy winter storm. And in our text today in Mark chapters 4 and 5, we will see Jesus do it again. We're going to see Jesus calm a chaotic situation, a chaotic mind, and the chaos of pain and death. And in each case, the people who are involved are going to be confronted by fear. And they have to decide, is Jesus worthy of their trust? Will they choose faith? It's the choice that I still have to make every time I feel the chaos swirling around me in a panic attack. And it's a choice that we all will have to face 
at one point or another as followers of Jesus Christ. So we're going to start in Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41, where Jesus calms a chaotic situation. And instead of me reading today, we're going to do something different. You can have your Bible open, but we are going to watch Max McLean act out the scenes uh, from our text today. So let's watch this video of Max acting out Mark 4, 35 to 41. That day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, Oh, let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat and it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, said to the waves, Quiet, be still. The wind died down. And it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and said to each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. So we see here the disciples following Jesus into a boat to cross to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus actually led them on this trip, but the struggle still surprised them. In the eye of this violent storm, the disciples panic and accuse Jesus of forsaking them. Isn't this just like us? In the storms of life, when panic is keen, don't we question and wrestle with God? Well, it was so kind of Jesus to intervene, wasn't it? He woke up without much of a fuss, and he restored calm to this situation that was raging out of control with just a few simple words. Well, it's interesting to look at the Greek words that Jesus used here. Some of your translations may say peace, others may say quiet, be still, Those are words not usually used to address nature. They're words more often used to rebuke a wayward child. Quiet. Be still. So here, the authoritative words of Jesus hush the powers of the sea and not the frightened disciples in the boat. Jesus rebukes the storm rather than the disciples. I love the description of the result in verse 39. It's so simple. And there was a great calm. Can you imagine the eerie silence when the chaos just stopped? I think the disciples were super freaked out by this because they knew that that was something that only God could do. Surely they would have recalled the words of David in Psalm 107:29 when David spoke of God and said, "He stilled the storm to a whisper, and the waves of the sea were hushed." 
So Jesus does challenge the faith of the disciples, but I think that we often read that with a very rebuking or a condemning tone. I hear kindness in Jesus' voice when he asks in verse 40, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Ironically, the terror of the disciples over what Jesus has just done to calm the storm actually exceeded or exceeds their initial fear of the storm itself. Isn't that weird? I I understand this because for me, sometimes I'm more afraid of Jesus calming the chaos around me because I've become so accustomed to my own ways of dealing with it. Maybe, maybe you could relate to this example. Have you ever been afraid of Jesus softening or calming the heart of someone who has really hurt you? In turn, uh, calming your chaos, the chaotic situation. If you're like me, maybe you've hardened your heart toward that person just a little bit to protect yourself, and you're really afraid of getting hurt again. And so Jesus confronts me, and he confronts you, With these fears, and he asks us the same question so kindly and tenderly. Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Well, despite their fear, the disciples' final question is one that makes faith possible. This is a really good question, and I hope we'll use it, and we'll ask God the same thing. They say, who then is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? It's a question we should ask ourselves. Who is this that can calm the chaos in my mind? Who is this who can change my husband's heart? Who is this who could reconcile this broken friendship or relationship? Who is this that could give me the courage to face this diagnosis? Will your fear give way to faith in the Savior who is able, as we have seen, to calm any chaotic situation that you face. Well, after calming the storm, Jesus meets a man with an equally violent storm within him. Jesus calms a chaotic mind. Let's watch Max act this part of the story out. Mark 5, 1 through 20. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasene. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he'd often been chained, hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart. He broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran, he fell on his knees in front of him, and he shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus? Son of the most high God, swear to God, you won't torture me. But Jesus was saying to him, come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion. We are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on a nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go to them. He gave them permission. The demons came out, went into the pigs, the herd. About 2,000 in number rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. 
those tending the pigs? They ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people came out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man. And they told about the pigs as well. <laughs> then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home family. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. The man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. It makes me tear up watching that because this is one of the most lamentable stories of human wretchedness found in the Bible. And yet I see myself in that man. This man's mind was in utter chaos tormented by demons. He's a terror to himself and to others. And that violence is hammered home by that line in verse 3. No one could bind him anymore, even with a chain. Doesn't that sound more like a description of an animal than a human being? So he's confined to the land of the dead, a graveyard, making him unclean. You'll remember back from Leviticus, when someone is unclean for a Jew, that means that he's unable to be in the presence of a holy God until he is ceremonially washed and made acceptable for worship. So this man is unclean. Furthermore, he's in the, on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. In these ten cities that make up the Decapolis, they are Gentile country. You would never see a pig farm in Jewish, in Jewish land. Pigs represent all that is unclean to a Jew. And so you have Jesus meeting a man with an unclean spirit, living among unclean tombs, surrounded by people employed in unclean occupations, all in unclean Gentile territory. And with a word... Jesus casts out the unclean spirit, calming the man's mind as quickly as he calmed the storm. The demons possessing the man have been begging Jesus not to torment them, even as they are being cast out. It's important to note here that the demons inside this man offer no challenge to Jesus. Rather, they are pleading for his mercy. 
When Jesus asks the man his name, the demons respond and say, Our name is Legion, for we are many. I want you to think about Mark's audience sitting here and listening to these words read to them. For them, a legion would mean a battalion of Roman soldiers, 5,600 of them, who were currently at that time oppressing the audience of the gospel. And so they're listening to this story, thinking about the oppression around them. Well, for you and for me as followers, believers, those who have trusted Jesus as Lord and Savior, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. So demons cannot possess us, but they can oppress us. And for our unbelieving friends and family, they can do both. So clearly, the oppressive forces around us are still very many. So when the townspeople come to see this infamous demoniac, he is in a completely altered state. The text says he's sitting there, dressed, and in his right mind. So this unclean man has become clean with just a word from Jesus. Now he is able to sit at the feet of God and commune with him uninhibited. Isn't that a beautiful picture of salvation and discipleship? Being restored so that you can sit at the feet of Jesus. Well, you noticed, uh, I loved in the, in the video, the healed man, he just longs to stay with Jesus, wouldn't you? He just wants to stay with him and go with him. But instead, Jesus gives him a missionary charge. Isn't that so cool? Because he's in the Gentile region, and there aren't a lot of religious Jews threatening to kill Jesus, like he's been in in previous stories. He's in Gentile country, so he tells this man, I want you to go. I want you to go home and tell your family and your friends how much the Lord has done for you. And so Jesus made him clean and gave him a missionary purpose, purpose in his kingdom, a Gentile sent out as a missionary, the first one in the Gospel of Mark. So cool. Well, the results are the same in both stories so far. Both outer and inner storms have been quelled by the authority of Jesus. But once again, the calm here is more frightening to the witnesses than the naked madman was. I I agree that their livelihoods have been threatened because all of those pigs have just died. So that's one reason. But I think the that they are more likely frightened by the power that they have just witnessed in Jesus Christ. This is a spiritual power. It's mysterious. It's frightening, and they want him to leave. And so I had to think about myself. I make the choice to respond to the fear that I really experience when Jesus does calm the chaos in my mind. So do I essentially ask him to leave by acting like, Nothing just happened. Jesus didn't do anything. Or do I go and tell everyone how much Jesus has done for me? So I want to ask you the same thing. What do you do? Well, finally, we see Jesus confront the calm, confront and calm the chaos of pain and death. 
One last time, we're going to watch Max. He's going to act out Mark chapter 5, verses 21 to 43. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, another large crowd gathered by the lake. One of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come, put your hand on her so she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who was subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she first heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and she touched his cloak. For she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped. And she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you? His disciples answered. And yet, you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid. Just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? Child's not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him, and he went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I said, you get up. Immediately, the girl, she stood up. And she walked around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. Jesus gave them orders not to let anyone know about this. And he told them, give her something to eat. Don't you find it interesting how Mark places the story of the woman with the issue of blood inside the story of healing Jairus' daughter? I think he did that intentionally. I think we are supposed to consider these two stories together. Both stories involve unnamed females. One has been dying for 12 years literally losing all of the blood in her body, and one has been alive for only 12 years. Both are wealthy. Jairus would have been the president of the synagogue. He would have risked great political power and social influence by approaching Jesus directly. 
But the woman must have also been wealthy to afford the numerous doctors that this text describes that have been addressing her situation. Yet both of these wealthy people are unable to escape the chaos of illness and death. Both are unclean. We see that word again. A Jew couldn't come near or touch a woman during her menstrual cycle. So this is a woman who hasn't been able to be touched for 12 years. They could also not be in the presence of dead people. So both situations would make Jesus, under Jewish law, unable to enter the very synagogue that Jairus is overseeing. But Jesus, just like he's been doing all throughout the Gospel of Mark, is not afraid to touch and heal the unclean, be they marginalized Gentiles or wealthy Jews. I love the woman's hidden touch of faith. That touch accessed Jesus' power over those chaotic hormones raging in her. And though she was fearful of Jesus' anger and dreaded being exposed, when she was summoned, she did present herself to him and explained her actions. I love in verse 34, Jesus called her by a new name. Daughter, your faith has made you well. So once again, we see Jesus make this unclean woman clean. First, she's able to speak with Jesus face to face. She hears God in the flesh comforting her and assuring her. He's done the exact same thing for you and for me. He's given us direct access to the Father through the Son, even when we're gripped with pain and confusion. Then he gave her a new name. He's also given us a new name. We went from unknown sinner to beloved daughter, daughters of the king. Well, Jairus, we go back to him, his risky parental request of faith also mobilized the power of Jesus. He had asked Jesus just to heal his little girl, but Jesus did exceedingly more than Jairus could have ever asked or even imagined. He brought her from death to life. I love the words he spoke to the little girl. Max did it so beautifully. Little girl, get up. Face to face with Jesus. So once again, Jesus has made what was unclean, clean. A dead body was unclean. A living, breathing little girl was exceedingly clean. And he's done the same for us. Our sin made us unclean, unable to be in the presence of a holy God. And yet Jesus makes us clean by removing the death penalty that we literally deserve and then giving us, breathing into us, spiritual, abundant, eternal life. So I say to you with all honesty today, words that you know, pain and death, 
are completely inevitable for all of us. And honestly, they are terrifying. They cause us great fear. But through it, I think we have learned through our study this week that we can approach Jesus' throne of grace with confidence. Whether we are reaching out timidly in the dark, like the woman, or someone else is approaching Jesus on our behalf, like Jairus, Jesus responds to the faith of his people. So whether he heals our disease or ushers us through it, whether he stops the pain or enables us to deal with it, he is a present king. He never leaves our side. And life in his kingdom is abundant and eternal. So I want to close today asking you, what storms of chaos and confusion or pain or death do you need to bring to Jesus today? I think he's proven himself to us to be truly the stiller of storms. Sometimes trusting him with your chaos is going to be scarier than the chaos itself. But he longs to speak a word over you, to calm you within. He has proven this to me, friends, over 43 years of panic and anxiety, just waging war with me. I can assure you that they do not stand a chance at the name of Jesus. And so the words of the song, Tremble by Mosaic MSC, came to mind as I was thinking about this. And I just want to use a few of the words kind of as an intro into our prayer, our closing prayer today. So let's just see these words on the screen. The song says, Peace. Bring it all to peace. The storm surrounding me. Let it break at your name. Still. Calm the sea to still, the rage in me to still every wave at your name. And then the chorus says, Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble. Jesus, Jesus, you silence fear. And then in the bridge of the song, it says, your name is a light that the shadows can't deny, your name cannot be overcome. Your name is alive, forever lifted high. Your name cannot be overcome. Let's pray. God, we claim that truth today, that your name is alive and powerful and still speaking authority, over storms of chaos, over demons that are taunting and oppressing us, over pain and illness and de the death that's all around us. This is unprecedented death that we have been seeing over the last year. And God, you are still sovereign over it all. And you still usher your people through all of these situations into the calm and the peace that passes all understanding in the center of your will. So we praise you and we thank you and we ask you to help us. Help us in our unbelief. Help us when the fear is so great that we just don't know where to turn. God, help us to turn to you. Just 
Give us the faith. Increase our faith. Help us, Lord, to trust you in all things. And we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name.